Welcome to Practice Life, the podcast devoted to the important non-clinical issues affecting the daily practice of equine veterinary medicine. Practice Life is brought to you by the American Association of Equine Practitioners. And I'm Mike Pannell, a practice owner and veterinarian, and a longtime EAP member and your host. This podcast is sponsored by Boehringer Engelheim. As a global leader in equine health, Boehringer Engelheim's main goal is to improve equine patients' health and quality of life. Boehringer Engelheim is dedicated to providing the latest product technology for the treatment and prevention of diseases in horses. Learn more about our product portfolio and what we can offer the veterinary community by visiting buy-vetmedica.com. Hi, I'm Mike Pannell, and welcome to another episode of AEP Practice Life. And today we're talking about mentoring, uh, the mentoring relationship. Very timely, it's hitting towards the end of April. People will be finishing school soon, starting internships, starting new positions. And one of the biggest questions that young vets are asking or what they want in a new job is great mentorship. So we've got three people here who have a lot of experience having young vets join their practice, whether it's associates or mentorships. I'm going to start with, uh, we're going to go east to west. So Kim, I want you to introduce yourself. Sure. Hi, everybody. I'm Kim Harmon. I am with Fairfield Equine in Newtown, Connecticut. I'm a 2007 graduate of the University of Pennsylvania. I did my year of internship training with Fairfield Equine and then stayed on as an associate. I became a part owner in the practice in 2018 and for a little over a year now have been the managing partner here. Uh, we have a, uh, an internship program that's been in place for a little over 15 years and we take at this point three interns a year. So I've gotten the chance to meet a fair number of people coming through and it's been great to help them along to their, their next step. Excellent. And, and heading west, uh, we hit the Rockies. And Luke, tell us about yourself. My name is Luke Bass. I'm a 2007 graduate of Colorado State University. Um, I then did an internship at Pioneer Equine Hospital in California. Stayed on there for about five years as an associate and um, managing the internship program there. I decided to return back to CSU here in Fort Collins. And we have a an internship uh, program and an ABVP residency program as well. So get to work with younger graduates and veterinary students basically 24-7. Excellent. And then finally, speaking of Pioneer Equine, we're joined by Karen Jackman. Hey, Karen. Hey, Mike. So tell us about yourself. You bet. Thanks for having me. Um, so my name is Karen Jackman. I'm a 2003 graduate of Colorado State University. Did my internship at Littleton Equine Medical Center there in Littleton and then stayed on there until 2010 when I came to California and joined Pioneer. And in my experience here, I've managed and mentored interns and then now am the managing veterinarian here at Pioneer. So, and we take four interns every year. Excellent. So, yeah, we've got some diverse uh, all across the country. So, this is going to be fascinating. So, first question, Karen, we'll start with you. You've been doing this for 11 years with interns and actually longer being at, at Littleton. To you, what makes a good mentor-mentee relationship? You know, I think probably the most important thing in having that a, a strong relationship as a, as a mentor and mentee is, is an open line of communication first and foremost. I think that's just the most critical thing, being able to communicate effectively what you need from your interns or young veterinarians and also making sure they know that you are available and welcoming of, of any of their questions and, you know, make sure that you're supporting their needs. Right. 
And how about yourself, Kim? I would echo what Karen said, that the communication is is so key and a, a level of mutual trust and respect. You know, not everybody gets along with everybody. So somebody that you have an affinity for, that you feel comfortable talking to and can be open about your concerns. I think that's really key. Yeah, trust is huge. Luke, how about yourself? I agree with both uh, both Karen and Kim, and I would maybe add the honesty, being okay telling a mentor that you really messed something up and you need some help is a big thing, is a hard thing for us. Uh, I learned that very early in my career. Um, but I also think as the mentee is is being able to be honest about you know what what they need and maybe the mentor being honest with the mentee about where they're at, right? So just being direct with people, being real, I think also helps keep that line of trust. Yeah, I like what you say about being honest, because when I think back of, we've got a current generation that I've been part of mentoring, but I've been mentored before when I was doing my internship. And I remember making the biggest mistake during my internship and, and, and my mentor was like, oh, I was wondering what would happen if we did this and you know, gave me that confidence. And I think it pays it forward almost that I had such a good experience and you want to make sure everybody else has a good experience. So look, keeping with you, so you know, you're going to have a, a new bunch of interns starting, you've got externs coming there. How do you put a plan in place? I mean, there must be so many factors that go into putting a plan in place. Maybe it's an intern you're only going to have for a year or it's a new associate who you may have several years. So what are the key factors that you think of to put in place for the mentor relationship? I think the first couple of weeks can be really difficult just getting everyone sort of settled to a new person or a new program. But I, I really like the meeting and figuring out expectations of, of both the new graduate and the program they're going into. And then setting up, uh, say, the first six months and the second six months as far as when we're going to do check-ins, what it's going to look like, um, what sort of appointments will you see, how much on-call time will you have, and then just doing mental check-ins along the way. So it's, it's professional check-ins, but mental check-ins and trying to set a system that works for both sides. And that's going to look very different for each person. But I've, I've learned a lot about checking in with people and doing more of a holistic approach to that and not just, well, this is what you're doing right and wrong, but here's what we're seeing and, and wh- where do you want to take this? You know, one of the best quotes that I've ever heard came out of that table topic. It's like, we need to train our folks to be successful for them, not just be just like us. Right, right. And Kim, yourself, how do you set up that relationship with your new intern or associate? For the interns, just as Luke said, trying to set up expectations right off the bat, and also for a new associate too. I think associates, it depends trying to set them up for success with building a client base. Uh, So talking to them about what their interests are, what they feel comfortable doing, what they're still not quite comfortable doing. As Luke said, having this honest dialogue so that you know, we don't put somebody in a position that they're not comfortable handling. And then, you know, they have a fail that we could have avoided, unforced, you know, an error that we could have prevented from happening in the first place. So talking to them about what they're good at, what they want to be doing, and try to mentor them and set them up with more experiences riding with our more seasoned doctors, so they can get FaceTime with clients and experience kind of under somebody's wing before they're, they're in a situation that they can't handle. Right. That's some good tips. And there's something I want to come back to, but first I want to get, uh, Karen, how do you set up your relationship with your, your interns or new associates? Yeah. So with the interns, we have an intern manual that we give them, we try to do 
their first day is, is orientation day. And we spend a long time sitting in the conference room and, and I literally read almost every page of that manual. Luke probably remembers that manual. He helped make it and we, you know, we adjusted every year a little bit, but we sit and go through that manual almost word for word so that the interns have a very clear idea of what our expectations are, what the structure of the internship is, and how they can anticipate their year moving forward. And what we try to do then at the end of the year is I, I also try to sit down with the interns at the end of the year with that manual and we go back through the manual and I say to them, okay, guys, what are things that were good with this manual? What are things that were missing in this manual? What are things that you felt like I didn't prepare you for that I should have prepared you for, for your internship? So it's a really great way. That's what I'm talking about. We're, we're constantly working on that manual because it does. It's it's a living being thing and it changes every year. And every intern class helps us make that manual better for the next class. And it, I think it helps us structure the internship better and better each year. So that's how we do it for interns. For new associates, it's, it's not that structured, but we do have a specific job description that we will create for new associates that a lot of times we create that. And then during the process of interviewing and hiring that person, that document goes back and forth and they add to it so that it's not only our expectations, but their expectations of the position with us. And with associates, I feel like they kind of get thrown in a little bit more, but I think they're more prepared and most of the time at a level in their career where they're, they're able to handle a little bit more. And so we try to structure their position based on what our needs are, but also what their needs are professionally at the time. Yeah, that's wonderful. That dynamic uh, way of keeping that internship manual. Something that all three of you sort of have said, I'm just and it sort of reminded me of a situation, and that is, I, I've talked to colleagues of ours, and they're saying this newer generation of associates and interns, and, and it may be university specific. To be honest, you know, sometimes have unrealistic expectations. Like they want to come out and they want to do like it's almost like they want to be injecting distal intertarsal joints the second week out into their internship. How do you temper expectations? Maybe we'll just continue with you, Karen. Yeah, I think that's a really great question, Mike. And I, I don't know that that's a, a newer, younger generation issue. I mean, I've been doing this long enough now that I feel like I've had interns since 2004 that every year you have somebody who's more eager and then somebody who's lacks that confidence and, and you have to push them along. So I don't know that I feel like the expectations have changed significantly honestly. I, I really think it's it's a little bit of a mixed bag. And every year you have different personalities and you have to adapt yourself and your internship to measure up to those those different personalities. So it may be a little bit of back in my day. And, you know, it's always that new generation is never as good as it was in our own generation. Yeah. and I, But to me, if I reflect back, I don't, I, I think we tend to want to do that, especially for me as I as I get older. And I think you know, I, I think I tend to want to say, gosh, these kids don't know anything. But the difference is, is that each year I gain another year of experience. So I feel like I know a little bit more. And so my expectations change. And so I have to be able to know that, okay, these are still students that are fresh out of veterinary school. So what they know is still probably very similar to what I knew when I came out of school. And so I have to remember that. Right. That's really wise. How about yourself, Luke? How do you manage expectations? 
I see this a lot with um, veterinary students and new graduates. When, when they want to do stuff, I, I want to make sure they're prepared for themselves. I want to make sure they're going to be successful. So let's use the example of injecting lower hock joints. I want to make sure that they are comfortable uh, setting up a sterile field. I want to make sure they're comfortable talking about the different products that can go in one of those joints. Uh, before they're allowed. And I want to make sure they watch a couple of different ways of doing it before they're allowed to do something like that. So I want them to be as prepared as I can to be successful because if you set someone up for failure, they're not going to be happy and it's going to be a struggle to get them back to that point. So it's all about building confidence in someone. Uh, man, I talk like I'm, I'm a, an old man now, but um, it's, it's, it's trying to allow them to be successful by making sure that they're ready for that. And a lot of times they're not. And so I think that's that honesty of, Hey, you're not ready just yet. Let's take these steps in order to get you to that point. So when you're finished, you can do a fist bump and know that you've just rocked that procedure. And so Kim, on that same vein, I think uh, we, we've all seen it where somebody goes in, you know, they're all eager to try something and it just doesn't work. And and confidence really takes a hit. So what do you do to help them build their confidence back up again? I'm going to think of it in terms of a procedure that we try to get our interns to learn uh, an ultrasound guided sacroiliac injection, which is not an easy thing to do. And certainly when you're learning to do it, it's fraught with the opportunity to, to fail. But I try to go back over what went well. Because anytime that there's a failure, there's got to be something that went well. You know, you knew your landmarks, you understand the anatomy, you know, you knew what you were seeing. Review what went well in that situation. And then try to get them out of the headspace of, let me go back over all the stuff I failed at, but okay, how do you adjust that next time? Do you see how you went wrong? Do you understand the 3D imagery of it? You know, if you could do it again, what would you adjust? And it's try to take it out of the personal and put it into back into the learning space. So to try to take the emotion out of it, because I think that's where people that are learning a new procedure, they, you know, you get psyched out and then you get in your head and then you don't want to try again and trying to encourage them that like, I wasn't born knowing how to do this and I failed at it too. And I had to practice, practice, practice. Right. I think that's great advice. Karen or Luke, anything to add to that? I would just say, I, I think that's so true. And I remember at, at Littleton, Dr. Beeman, you know, we would have these Monday morning meetings and all the doctors would sit around the table and we would discuss cases. And every once in a while, Dr. Beeman would come in and he'd have a bandage that had obviously been cut off a horse in his hand. And we would all just sit there, especially when we were interns and quake and wonder if we were the one that Dr. Beeman was going to come after about that bandage. And at the time, we were so scared, but, but he would, and he would do exactly what Kim was just describing. He would talk about that bandage and he would say, this bandage was not applied correctly. These are the things that, you know, he'd find whoever it was and in front of everybody, he would call you out, but he would say, okay, these are the things you did right, but this is what you did wrong. And this is why I brought this bandage in because I want you to learn to not do it the next time. And so it was, he did do that, you know, the whole Oreo cookie thing, like, the thing you did wrong, but he would he would put the things that you did right on either side of that so that you could grow from it. But yeah, it, it didn't squash your confidence, but at the same time, he, you remembered the next time you put the bandage on that you were not going to do it incorrectly. Right. Well, on that same thing, because I think, you know, we could talk about the learning curve with the medicine we do, but how about with our clients? And so, you know, when you 
particularly maybe an intern who's been in for quite a while, maybe they're starting to see clients on their own or a new associate. How do you deal when your new intern or associate, you know, you get a client complaint? Luke, how do you handle that? It's going to happen. And I remember this happening when I was an intern and a new graduate. And luckily, the older you get, the more confident you get and the less client complaints you have. But as far as dealing with those, I, I really want to get the full story from both sides. I want to talk to the client on the phone, or maybe even in person, if, if that's okay. I want to talk to the, the new graduate in person, and I want to think about it for a couple of days before I sort of point fingers. And I want to also get, get the perspective of the new graduate. And then really, I love what Kim was saying about what worked well, and maybe what are some things that they would like to do better. And a lot of times they're going to know what went wrong. They're going to know what they want to do better. And so it allows that new graduate to have some ownership of maybe what, what happened. And so a lot of times you don't have to tell them what they did wrong. They know what they've done and they actually have a plan. And I think if it's a really difficult conversation, I, I love to go on a walk. Hey, let's go for a walk. And then you can just, they can let it out. A lot of times there's emotion with mistakes especially when they're trying to impress you. They're, they're wanting to make sure everything's done perfect because they want to feel good about what they're doing. So right. there's sometimes emotion that can come out on walks that may be sort of bottled up on a face-to-face conversation. That's a great idea going for a walk because it just sort of, it takes you out of the environment and it's sort of a neutral place. And it's, you know, you can just sort of talk about other things, but still come back to it. I think that's a great idea. Kim, in your practice, how, how do you handle that with the client complaints? Well, I think similar to Luke, I want to hear from both sides, but uh, I, I want to be uh, open-minded to the situation and, and not jump to any conclusions. And, you know, we've all had clients complain about us. So there's three sides to everything. I want to think about it in terms of, you know, I want to protect the business. So I want to talk to the client. I want the client to feel heard. I want the client to feel taken care of. I don't want the client to be left with the feeling that they're not getting high quality service. And then I want to uh, also talk to the veterinarian that was there and hear from them and just ask them, hey, how do you think that, how did it go? Tell me about that call. So not lead them into something went wrong, but just like, hey, you know, how was that? Tell me how that went. So I can try to get almost an unbiased version of, of how, how it went from their perspective. And I try to be careful with a new veterinarian with us about dwelling on it too much. Because uh, I do find that some clients with new faces are more likely to find fault. Absolutely. So I try to err on the side of giving our veterinarian the benefit of the doubt whenever I can. And Karen, what's your approach on this? Yeah, I think I'm fairly similar to both Kim and Luke. From a private practice standpoint, I would echo Kim, you, you want very much to you know, protect your business and make sure that client is feeling heard and feeling like their issues have been addressed, especially with social media, what it is today. They don't go on a rant um, on social media and, and, and do damage to your business. I have found though, I was going to say 99%, but probably if not 100%, very, very close to 100% of the issues we deal with are simply a communication Mm-hmm. Yeah, somewhere along the line. And sometimes it's a veterinarian and sometimes it's the client. A lot of times what I'll do with the client is I'll I'll hear them out because a lot of times they just want to be heard. And then I try to figure out either by directly asking the client or figuring out with nuances, what does the client need? 
what does this client want from the situation and how can we provide them satisfaction that that their issues have been addressed and at the same time support our veterinarian and not make them feel like you know they're being blamed unfairly and a lot of times when i speak with the clients all they want is to say you know this was my problem i would like to make sure this doesn't happen again and that's the end of it mm-hmm. and then you take the time to to visit with the veterinarian just like kim and, and and luke have been talking about i love luke's idea about going for a walk i listened to your guys's table topic um just to prepare for this call and and I think that's such a great idea and I don't do that. And that's something I really want to incorporate into my mentoring of, of young veterinarians because it's a great way to just have a conversation where it doesn't feel so structured and so sitting across the table from the, the principal type of a, a feel. And yeah, I think a lot of times for, for that veterinarian, I think they're aware that the conversation or the call or the interaction, whatever it was, they know it went badly and they are looking for the opportunity to, to grow from that and learn from, okay, how can I communicate better next time? So invariably, it's, it's a communication issue. Yeah. What I've started doing, it just happened out of frustration about a year ago. I've actually started having the call with the client and the veterinarian. Because uh, as Kim said, there's three sides of the story. And sometimes you'll have a client going on and on and on, and then you'll talk to the vet and they're like, that didn't happen because, you know, truth's out there somewhere. And I find when the two of them are together and there's a discussion with the three of them, of course, I prep the vet to say, we need to let them talk because as Karen's right, they need need to be heard. And then when they start talking and all of a sudden the two of them start talking together and usually the vet's apologizing and then the owner's like, oh yeah, I probably was a bit too hard on you. And I was, something else was going on. And then by the, the end of it, they actually have a tighter relationship. And then it's not as she said, she said, or she said, he said, or whatever. It's just, we're having a conversation. We're adults and let's get to the bottom of it. I don't know if it would work for every associate or every, every client even, but I, I find that has been working lately. So we're, we're, we've been talking a lot about the discussions and, and mentoring. And, you know, these are sort of these off the cuff situations that happen. And we'll continue with you, Karen, but do you have like a formal, like evaluation time? Do you meet monthly every six months? Is there some kind of check-ins that you do? Yeah, we we try to. Um, I, I will admit, I don't know why this year I've been not as good. I, I did pretty well with the first couple and then I've sort of dropped off. This group of interns keeps laughing at me. They're like, hey, Karen, when are we having our reviews? We've been scheduling reviews since February, I think. There's been something going on this year, though. Let I me know. think what it was. Like, something going on. Something's been happening that's been a bit something. distracting. I can't, I can't think what it is. Can't put my finger yeah. on it. But yeah, <laughs> something. But yeah, we try to do a 60 day check-in and then, you know, monthly thereafter, you know, just at least have a, a quick five minute get together with the interns and make sure just see if they, if they have any issues, how's the internship going, what's going well, what's not going well. You know, if there, if there's something that, that an intern is, is not quite getting or we're, we're struggling with, we try to have those be more, more direct and, and more in the moment type of, you know, just quick meetings and to say, Hey, this is not flowing well. Let's talk about it real quick and, and, and get it sorted out. But once we get through that in the late fall, um, we, we sort of drop off on those meetings and then I just have them as needed. And um, like this year, I asked the interns if they wanted to have another round of formal reviews this spring. And, and for the most part, they, they were like, nah, we don't, you know, we don't know. We talked a little bit more about it. And I said, well, I think it's really good for you to have them. It's great for us and it's it's really good for you. And and we do have our interns when we do reviews, they do a self-review 
and then we sit down together and go through we go through them together and it's it's a, a great way to assess you know themselves and and get our assessment and would you do something similar for an associate with new associates we do with established associates we don't and we've gone back and forth on whether or not that is something we should do as a practice but currently we don't right okay and how about yourself, Kim? What's the approach at Fairfield with interns and associates in terms of check-ins? So for our interns, we do check-ins or evaluations every three months. We don't have a formal, you know, something for them to fill out, but it's, uh, we sit down, try to let them speak first. What's going well? Where are your challenges? What can we do to help you along the way? structured like that. I really liked what Karen said about some in the moment, sometimes there's stuff that needs to be corrected right then and there. So that when we get to these conversations, there shouldn't be surprises. If there's issues along the way, it shouldn't be like, this is the big conversation where we drop the hammer, so to speak. It should be, it shouldn't be new information necessarily. Nothing sets them up to be afraid of a meeting with like, this is when the bad stuff happens. Right. Exactly. Exactly. With our associates, depending on where they are, it's at least once a year. For our newer ones, I check in with them more often, not as structured. And then I ask them specifically, how often do you want to sit down? So to get feedback from them on what they feel like would be a good cadence. For the associate, I do give them something ahead of time for them to fill out so that they have a chance to think about things, organize their thoughts. And also sometimes there might be something that's on my mind that maybe is a bit of a tougher conversation that we might need to have. So sometimes they'll actually bring it up once they've thought of it, and then it, it makes the conversation flow a little bit easier rather than me having to maybe bring up something that's a bit more challenging to have a conversation about. Right. And Luke, what's the approach at uh, Colorado State with check-ins with interns or residents or... I'm not going to repeat the same, but we, we do something very similar to what uh, Kim and Karen was talking about. But something I've started doing after listening to Kim back on this podcast, um, the, the, the table topic was is more of a mental check-in once a month. I, I want to know where they're at. I want to know what struggles they're having, what sort of anxiety they're having. Um, you know, when you, you go through an internship or a residency toward the end, there's there seems to be signs of burnout. There seems to be signs of anxiety on what's the next step. And maybe that's starting a family. I, I remember that was hard in practice or, you know, during COVID, there's just a lot going on. So I think twice a year, three times a year, official um, evaluations, but sort of a weekly by, you know, every other week, it needs to be a mental check-in to see wh what they need. Do they need a day off? Do you need to go, you know, ride your horse for three hours, what, whatever on a trail ride? What, what do you need right now to make you be successful. What what are some signs that you're seeing of burnout, of struggles? You know, I talk to a lot of new graduates and I think a lot of clinics struggle to get evaluations back to their new graduates. And I, I, I think a lot of people just don't want to do it. And I think a lot of newer graduates struggle. I think the internships do very well at, at giving evaluations. But after that, and, and new associates, I think, are, are the ones that really struggle getting feedback. I would encourage everyone out there to Think about what could work in your situation, but please give people feedback, positive and negative, because everyone right now is looking for assurance that they're doing things the right way and they want to do a good job. But if, if someone doesn't tell them every once in a while, it, it can be really difficult. 
Yeah, I think that's such a great attitude to have because, you know, we do know in just in veterinary profession in general, the mental health problems that are there and, and to, to not hide from it and bring it right on the table and let's talk about it and it's worthy of a conversation. I think that's fantastic. Um, Kim or Karen, do you do anything like that? Actually, the mental health thing, one thing I forgot to mention for our associates, and we started doing it for our interns too, is um, there's the emotional uh, checklist. The Harvard came out with it. Uh, so it's a checklist that I give to our people that just ask some questions about, you know, how are you doing emotionally? And I don't pressure them. We don't have to talk about it. I just give it to them and they can fill it out and look at it and just to get get them thinking about it and open the door if they want to have a conversation about it. One of the things we started doing at our practice is we actually have uh, an executive coach that we have access for our veterinarians and even for our staff, but even our younger vets, because that, that change from we have people, they start after an internship, coming from an internship where it's go, 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 go. Uh, it's, it, you know, and this is all a new thing and they're actually having an interface with clients more. I find that a struggle and we found having a, uh, a coach for them really helps them center themselves. You know, they find that they're often they're, they're getting in the way of themselves. And you know, we just find having a coach really gets to the, you know, it's, it's not a therapist, it's not a psychiatrist or a psychologist, but just, you know, what are the obstacles in their own way? And that to us has been a secret sauce lately of just getting people in a good place. So. Luke, I want to come back to something that you said earlier in our conversation, and that is, and we're paraphrasing it, is mentor for who they want to be. So the question, when I, when I heard that, I was like, that's a great quote, but it gets back into setting up people for expectation. If you're mentoring who they want to be, and they're saying, well, I want to be a sport horse vet, or I want to do a residency, or and what have you, and you have that feeling like, no, yeah, I know you want to be, but I just don't think that's going to happen. How do you handle that? I'll go around. I'll start with Luke, but I'm just, I've been in that situation before. So I want to see how other people handle it. Cause I don't know. I, I struggle with it. I don't know that I want to be the person that tells them they, they can't do it. Right. But I, I would definitely encourage them to put in extra effort. I would definitely encourage them to reach out and learn as much as they can. But if, if you're working with a person who, and a lot of students will leave veterinary school wanting to be a surgeon or wanting to be a sports med clinician, but they really can't work a set of testers, just for example. So I think they really need to understand the basics and understand the building blocks to get there and the work it takes to, to get to that point. And if they're willing to try, I encourage, but if they're not willing to, to put in the work to get to that point and they have maybe a little bit of imposter syndrome going on, then I think a lot of that works itself out. Right. You know, I, I want them to, to put in the extra work. And if they're not doing that, then I may call them out and say, you know, this is going to take an incredible amount of work to get you to this point. And if you're willing to do that, then we should help you do that. But if you're not, then, then maybe this is not the path for you. Yeah, that's, that's pretty fair. How about yourself, Karen? What's your approach in those situations? Yeah, I think this is such a tough one because it's, it's so hard. Like, like Luke said, you don't, you don't want to be the person that squashes somebody's dream. But I think the approach that I honestly don't know that I've ever directly done this, but I think if I had a situation where somebody kept saying, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And I, I didn't feel like that was probably the right path for them. I think one of the things, and, and we've seen, I, I agree with Luke, a lot of times it just sort of works itself out. But for me, it's the, the kind of the whole proof is in the pudding thing. 
if you think that you're going to be a, a sport horse veterinarian and you're doing your internship at Pioneer where we see a ton of lameness and instead of being out on the lameness pad watching Brad and Dave work up lamenesses and, and help with blocks and, and do radiographs and watch ultrasounds and, and do all of those things that are going on constantly, you're sitting at your desk and either playing on your phone or, or sitting on your computer and, and not actively participating in, in the all of the learning that's right at your fingertips. Those are the times that, and I have had conversations with interns where I say, this is your time to embrace and to really, really learn. And and the more you're out there and the more you show that you're engaged, number one, the more you will get out of this internship, the more we will let you do and the further you will get towards accomplishing your goals. So, so much of it, I think, is just sitting them down and, and being direct with them and saying, you are not putting forth the effort that you need to, to accomplish your goals. So like Luke said, are you willing to put in the work? Because there's a lot of work and there's a lot of effort and there's a lot of time. And sometimes they just have to be made aware that, okay, it's a great dream to have, but you realize this is the path to, to accomplish that dream. So are you willing to set down this path now and, and, and go for it? Yeah, that's really great. And how about yourself, Kim? I would echo what Luke and Karen have said, I think in that, no, I don't want to be the person that tells somebody this just isn't going to work because, you know, maybe it could at some point, uh, I think putting in the work, I would say asking them some questions to try to draw it out of them. So if this is you continuing on the example of the sport horse vet, what is somebody that you look up to that's successful at this? What are some qualities about them that you think define them? What does their day look like? How do you think your skill set compares at this point? I think so if they can kind of get there mentally themselves to where there may be a gap between where they are and, and where they, you know, you expect them to be at that point for that goal or just so they can kind of see it themselves. I think that can drive it home more. And I think hopefully either ignite them to work harder or get them to a place where they can shift gears and try to look at other options for themselves. Mm -hmm. That's a great way of doing it. As we were talking about it, something just I was reminded of a of a vet who was spending time with us about a job, and they're like, "I love sport horse medicine. That's really my dream. I hate taking X rays." That's <laughs> <laughs> like, wow. <laughs> it's like, well, <laughs> we, we, there's a disconnect here. <laughs> okay, final question. You've been all doing it for a while. Uh, the approaches you're having are amazing. And I'm sure anybody listening to this is going to get a lot out of it. But Kim, we'll start with you. Is What do you know now that you wish you knew when you started mentoring? Like one of these things that you're like, boy, I made some mistakes, but I would do this differently. I would say focusing more on listening so that when I, I really hear what someone's trying to say and not what I am assuming they are trying to say to come into a conversation more curious and less about what I think is going to happen along with setting really clear expectations for people in an effort, I think early on and still probably sometimes now in an effort to be nice. Sometimes I can be not as direct or I wish, you know, I, I look back on a conversation and say, you know what, if I just cut to the chase and said what I meant, we'd be in a better place. Right. Right. How about yourself, Luke? I think trying to meet a person where they're at is a huge, huge thing that I didn't have experience in. Uh, I've been lucky enough to be part of the communications program here at CSU and just trying to figure out what they need and meet them where they're at 
I think would have really helped me early on that now it feels like I'm doing a better job at, at trying to help a person be successful and, and handle what gets thrown at them. That's wonderful. And finally, Karen, how about yourself? What do you wish you knew then that you know now? Yeah. And it's, it's funny. It's definitely all about growing, right? That lifelong learning thing. And I think this is similar to what both Kim and um, Luke have said is I wish that I had learned long ago to be much more quick to listen and slow to judge. You know, it was so easy before to, you hear a story, you know, even like the client veterinarian situation, you hear one side of it and you think, oh my goodness, how in the world did that mm-hmm. happen? You get so irate and you want to storm off and yell at the person for how could you have done this? And then, and then, <laughs> then you hear the other side and you realize that it's a completely different set of circumstances than you understood. So yeah, that listening is, there's just no, no substitution for, for listening. And along with that is how important it is to other people to be heard. So if you're the one that is willing to hear them and, and really, really hear them and listen to them and give them that time, that to me is, is priceless. And I think a a lot of the, you know, just kind of the day-to-day stuff that I deal with here, so much of, why I think people want to come and talk to me is because I will listen without interrupting them or talking to them or telling them my opinions or anything like that. I just let them talk for a minute. And that makes a huge difference. And then the one other thing I think too is, yeah, I wish I would have been able to be more direct sooner in my career and in my my mentoring career. It just, you can be direct without being mean. You can make yourself understood and really let a person understand where they are and what's going on if you if you're just direct about it. It's that whole having the uncomfortable conversation. And now I've gotten to the point that I say to somebody, I say, we're, okay, we're gonna have to have an uncomfortable conversation. And I know you don't want to do it, but it's okay. We're gonna get through it and and everybody will be happier when we're done with the conversation. And never once yet has it been where somebody has hasn't said to me, Oh my gosh, I feel so much better now that we've had the conversation. Wow, that's some great advice here. I, I'm sure anybody who's listening to this, who's either taking on externships, uh, new associates, an intern, there is a wealth of knowledge. And I mean, we could probably talk all night, but this is fantastic. I really want to thank all three of you for taking the time out of your busy schedules. Fantastic information. You know, we do have a challenge with our profession of people burning out too quickly. But I think if anybody takes even a smidgen of some of the stuff that you guys have been talking about and applies it in their practice, it's going to set up that next generation really, really well. And for all the young vets listening in, you can also hear in this last question is that the mentors are still learning too. So I think all of us are always learning all the time. And I think we keep that going. We'll be okay. So thank you all. Thank you very much. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, it's Mike again. We have a special feature. I am joined with Nick Altwees of the AAP. And Nick is sort of the leader of the Outrider, the mentorship program. Welcome, Nick. Thank you, Dr. Penno. I thought having Nick to talk about the AAP mentorship program would be a great way to conclude the discussion we just had on, on mentoring young vets. So, Nick, perhaps you can just explain to the members that are listening to this about the AAP uh, mentoring program called Outrider. Absolutely. Uh, AAP wants to be in a position where we can help any member, but particularly those who are starting off in practice and wanting to know more about, you know, what are they getting into and how can somebody who's been there, done that, 
assist with that experience. And so at AAP.org, when you get into your member benefits area, it's there's Outrider is the, the mentoring platform. There's a page devoted there that explains what we set out to do, which is match anybody up with somebody who's got more experience in equine practice. Um, or in some cases, we do have members who are involved more in mixed practice that can assist in that as well in terms of a, of a match. So very easy registration process that by clicking a button takes you into that portal, which is actually part of our career center. Uh, we decided to get that piece um, in the career center because the folks who manage that space for AAP do a wonderful job assisting with this as well. A simple registration of entering your name, contact info, answering a few questions to give yourself a little bit of a profile. Of, so we know uh, basically are you looking for somebody who's got exclusive equine, mixed animal, seven years of experience, three years of experience, a few matching pieces that um, you save that and boom, you're off and running. Excellent. And so, it, and, and, I mean, it doesn't necessarily need to be a long formal relationship. It could just be somebody, a young vet, for example, just you know, has some questions, just wants to bounce some ideas off some money. Absolutely. We've just added that component about a month ago where anyone can go to AP.org, the same space, and click a button that allows you to fill out a very quick uh, template to ask a question of right now we've got 75 members who are willing to answer questions on nine topic areas ranging from contract negotiation, work-life balance, business and personal financial management, dealing with difficult clients, et cetera. So great areas where you can just ask a question. You don't have to develop um, a long-term relationship and get some immediate feedback that way. Yeah, such a great advantage. I, think. I imagine if you're a young vet to be able to get this feedback from people that have been in the trenches for a while, you may not have access to anybody in your own area. So it's just a great way that you can sort of connect to anybody in the AEP that wants to be a mentor. So that's wonderful. Absolutely. And we've got 35 to 40% of the membership are really on their own as a sole uh, business associate and they're running their own business. And this allows them to, to reach out particularly if they've just started practice and received some feedback from somebody who's been in their shoes before. Wonderful. Nick, thank you very much for spending a few minutes. I think this is a great companion piece to uh, the earlier part of the podcast. And uh, again, can you just uh, share the link to the Outrider page? Yes, if you go to AP.org, and actually it's forward slash mentoring dash program you'll find it. It's in the dashboard where all your other AAP member benefits are. Very easy to find. Great. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. For more resources to help you in daily practice, please visit the AAP's website at aaep.org. This podcast is sponsored by Boehringer Engelheim. As a global leader in equine health, Boehringer Engelheim's main goal is to improve equine patients' health and quality of life. Boehringer Engelheim is dedicated to providing the latest product technology for the treatment and prevention of diseases in horses. Learn more about our product portfolio and what we can offer the veterinary community by visiting buy-vetmedica.com.